it's a new experience for me also, and uh, I hope that we all benefit. The important thing for benefiting from any Majlis, any gathering, is first of all our intention. Our intention should be that we want to get to the truth and follow the truth to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we have this intention and we have this eagerness to learn, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put in our hearts what is needed for our own benefit, for our own reformation, including the speaker. Uh, just the person speaking is not necessarily, uh, you can say, not in need of what he's speaking, he or she is speaking. In fact, the speaker is as much in need as the listener. So the topic that we want to speak about today, my dear brothers and sisters, is why is there suffering and evil in this world? If God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all loving, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful, then how does one explain the existence of evil in this world? Why would there be natural disasters like earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, cyclones, bushfires, plagues or viruses, or other calamities caused by agents like human beings? Why are there wars, genocide, oppression? This is a question that has plagued mankind since the very beginning of human history. The earliest ancient Greek philosophers have written about this for centuries Jewish philosophers, Christian philosophers, Muslim theologians, they've all grappled with this same problem, the same question. It's not a new question, but it comes up over and over and over again. Many pages have been written about this topic. And in this, in this short session, we won't be able to go into full details just from one session but nevertheless as Muslims we should at least try to understand this to some extent what I mean is that we should try and at least listen to some of the responses by our scholars from the Quran and from the teachings of our Prophet Muhammad the topic, why is there suffering in this world? First of all, we have to understand the mindset of a believer is different to the mindset of a non-believer. One of the most common arguments of atheists, particularly in the Western world, to disprove God and to disprove religion is the problem that evil exists. Now the mindset of a believer is different because yes we use our, our logic, our rationalities, our intellect, but we use our reasoning with the guidance from revelation. For the believer the ultimate authority, our reasoning can only reach a certain limit before we have to submit to Allah's knowledge and Allah's revelation, what Allah revealed to his prophet from the unseen world. So going back to the mindset of a believer, 
we have to understand that the default condition of life in this world is what? Is to be in a state of test. To be in a state of trials and tribulations. That's the default state of a person. And that's why the verses of Quran just recited and the brother recited it in his tilawah also. Allah Ta'ala explained the very purpose that he created life and death. The one who created death and life. For which purpose? To test you. That which of you will be best in deeds? Best in action. So, when we look around us, this is from an atheist perspective, a non-believer. They say that, look, all we see is violence, chaos, oppression, people in a state of fear. So they start to question the existence of God. That how can an almighty God, who is powerful over everything, allow such pain and suffering to take place? How do we explain that a God who is supposedly Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, the most compassionate, the most merciful, yet he allows the bizarre and senseless carnage of people that are often weak, often the poor, often those who are unable to defend themselves adequately, people like countries in Palestine, the Rohingya in Burma, Myanmar, the Muslims in China, Vietnam, Iraq, and the list goes on, Syria. Why does he allow innocent children to die of starvation? How can an all-powerful God that's supposed to be merciful allow so much pain and suffering? Where is the rahmah? Where is the mercy in this? The world is dominated by random, indiscriminate violence. Why would God make it that way? If there is a God, why couldn't he just put us into heaven from the beginning and spare us all the suffering? Why did he make humans so susceptible to evil and sin? Why didn't he make us impervious to sin? Like he made the angels? Is this the best that God could do? Is this the most perfect world that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could create for our existence? Yeah. Notice this is a question. Is this the most perfect world that Allah could create? I want to ask a question. You don't have to answer now. But when Allah created Adam, alayhi salatu wassalam, where did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put him? Was it in a perfect world or imperfect world? When Allah Ta'ala created Adam alayhi salatu wassalam, where did Allah put him? In Jannah. Is Jannah perfect? Jannah is a perfect world. Yeah? Yet, when Allah Ta'ala created Adam alayhi salatu wassalam, he announced to the angels that inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. He said, I'm going to appoint my deputy. Where? Did he say, Fil Jannah? 
He said, I'm going to appoint my deputy, Adam, alayhi salatu wasalam. Did he say that I'm going to put him in paradise? He said, no, fil ard, in the earth. The plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the very beginning, Adam alayhi salam was not present in that particular gathering. He was told that you and your wife, anta wa zawjuka, stay in the paradise. Fakula min haythu shittuma, eat, drink from wherever you like. Only one thing. There was a bit, there was a limitation for him, just one. La taqraba hadihi shajar. Don't come close to this tree. But otherwise, he was not knowing of the, Allah's plan. The world, according to him, was perfect. He's in paradise. There's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sickness, there's enjoyment, there's pleasures. But yet, from the very beginning of his creation, when Allah announced to the angels, look, I'm going to appoint my deputy on the earth. So it was part of Allah's plan from the beginning. So... Our response, the Muslims' response, the believers' response, when they say that this is the most perfect world that Allah could create, we reply to this by saying that Allah has created a perfect world where there will be no pain and no suffering, but that world is called Darus Salam. Darus Salam means the place that is free from pain and suffering and evil. There's no misery there. There's no famines, no hardship, no bloodshed, no suffering. But that world is in Jannah. And that world can only be achieved after passing through this world, after death. So we also believe that yes, there should be a perfect world. The only difference is that the disbeliever, they believe arrogantly that we are entitled to it right here and now. We want it right here, right now. Because you didn't create this perfect world now for us, then we reject that God exists altogether. This is the, the mentality of a person who does not believe in God. That self-entitlement. That I deserve, this world should have been like this. Why is it like this? Because it's like this, then I don't believe there's a God. So as Muslims, we need to appreciate and understand the concept of an all-powerful God, an all-merciful God. Both are there. It's not that Allah is merciful, but he, he doesn't have full control. There have been in the past groups within the Muslim Ummah who have come out of Islam because of, this is their main issue. They said, no, we don't believe that Allah created evil. We don't believe that Allah created evil. We believe that Allah only created good. Those perpetrators of evil, they are the ones that created the evil. Don't blame it on God. Their intention was good. In fact, there was a scholar from this particular sect called the Mu'tazi. So he saw that another scholar from the mainstream Islam and he wanted to prove his point that you people attribute evil to Allah. This is part of our aqidah by the way. Amantu billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawmil akhir wal khadri khayrihi wa sharrihi min Allah ta'ala. 
that good and bad has been predestined, created by Allah. Good has been created by Allah. Bad has also been created by Allah. So, however, this Mu'tazili Alim, he was a scholar, as he was about to cross paths with this other scholar from the mainstream Islam, he said one sentence, Subhana man tanazzaha anil fahsha. He said, Glory be to that being who is pure and free from all evil. So this alim from the mainstream Islam replied to him in one sentence also. He said, Subhana man la yaqa'u fi mulkihi illa ma yasha. He replied that praise be to that one, glory be to that one, meaning Allah, who nothing can happen in his kingdom except with his permission. Because if you say that something happens out of the control of Allah, then what you've done is you've attributed weakness to Allah by saying that Allah, you're not in full control. That's why evil has dominated. So I want to get back to this. So the Muslims, we appreciate that, yes, we understand that Allah is all-powerful, He's all-merciful, but why does He allow evil to exist? What's the, theology, what's the religious explanation for this? So I want to point out that this topic of trying to understand evil and why it exists was first brought up and asked by not even human beings. Going back to that verse, when Allah Ta'ala said to the angels, Look, I'm going to create my deputy on this earth. And it was this human being, Adam alayhi salam. Allah told this to the angels. So they replied, That you're going to create an entity who has free will. We've already seen what happened when you created an, another entity with free will, which was the jinns. The jinns existed before mankind. The angels, they don't have free will. They have simply obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they remain in the service and worship of Allah. So Allah created jinns and the angels witnessed the evil that the jinns perpetrated on this earth. Now he's creating another entity with the same free will to do good, to do bad. And you're going to appoint him for supposedly some positive role of being your khalifa, being your deputy on this earth. That we, you know, they were protesting that we are only, you know, praising you, glorifying you, worshipping you. We don't disobey you. It's as if they're saying that wouldn't we be more worthy for this role? You're going to appoint this human being that's going to create so much misery, fasad fil ard, so much corruption, oppression, injustice on this earth. Not only that, he's going to shed blood. Going to, they're going to kill one another. And you're going to appoint someone like that to be your Khalifa, why are you going to allow evil to be dominant on this earth? It's the same question 
that the angels were asking. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He replied, Inni a'lamu ma la ta'lamun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, look, I know what you do not know. In other words, I know exactly what I'm doing and you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't attempt to explain his wisdom. My knowledge is more than yours and I know what you cannot understand. There are some things that is just beyond our intellect, beyond our understanding. So as Muslims, we begin the answer to this question by saying that, look, we'll never have a watertight, foolproof answer to this question. Had there been one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have told us. So, if it was so easy for us to understand, for human beings to understand, Allah would have said, look, the reason why I created evil is because A, B, C, D. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just said, Inni a'lamu ma la ta'lamun. I know that which you do not know. Having said that, my dear brothers and sisters, it is important that we understand that the atheists, those who reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of this issue, it's important that we understand they've also failed to explain the existence of evil. It's not that they found an answer to this question by rejecting God. And the fact that evil exists, listen carefully, the fact that evil exists does not disprove that Allah exists, that God exists. It's unfortunate to see many theists, many believers in Allah, those who ascribe to a religion, they get cornered when this question comes. And they allow the atheists to assume the role of the dominant interrogator in this discourse, in this conversation. So first and foremost, we understand that the link between the existence of evil and the existence of Allah are two separate things, two separate issues. They shouldn't be conflated. To, to conclude, to say that God doesn't exist because evil exists, this is a logical fallacy. If we studied Monty, for example, if we were to say that the sun does not exist because darkness exists. Just because something exists, it doesn't negate that something else doesn't exist or something else exists. So this is something we have to understand. So the atheists who have rejected God because of this, and many people have, in fact, some of you may have known, I've mentioned this in some of my other talks, there was one professor in the US, he was raised as a Catholic. And he became an atheist at the age of 15. He was very intelligent. And this was the reason. When he put this question before his, the priests, they couldn't come with an answer. They just said to him, it seems like you don't have faith. He said, perhaps I don't have faith. He said, from that day onwards, he became an atheist. And then he went to read the Quran. And those verses he read, I'm just cutting a long story short, when he read about the creation of Adam, he didn't read it like some of us. He was a thinker. We just read the Quran, we don't understand that it's, it's so packed with meaning. He read that and he saw the question of the angels and he said, this is my question. This is why I've cut myself off from God for so many years. Because of this question and this question is being asked by the angels. 
in the first few pages of Surah Baqarah. So he, he got introduced to Islam. He said he read the whole Quran and he found so much wisdom and Allah gave him hidayah. So going back to the topic that evil exists in this world, this has been a problem from the very beginning, as we've said. But only in the last couple of centuries has this resulted into a rebellion against God and religion. Yeah. It's only in the last couple of years that atheism has started to spread like wildfire. Atheism is the biggest threat in our times. You know, in every time there was different, different dangers for the Muslim ummah. If I was to ask you what's the fastest growing religion, what would you say? Anyone know? Islam, but atheism is rising even faster, especially in the Western world. So atheism is the biggest threat of our time. So, why is that? What is different now? The reason, some scholars have said, because the Western mindset has changed, has gradually shifted from the purpose of life to the quality of life. The Western mindset has shifted from the purpose of life to quality of life. When we say Western mindset, what countries are we from? I can see people here from the subcontinent, maybe people from Middle Eastern backgrounds. Yeah? Fact of the matter is, the Western world doesn't only include Western countries. Most of our countries were colonized, so therefore we've had the Western beliefs imposed upon us. So the Western mindset has entered into our education systems and so on and so forth, society. So when I say Western mindset, that's by and large, majority of the world. Yeah. So this gradual shift in mindset was a byproduct of 18th century Europe's Enlightenment period. What is the Enlightenment period? This was a radical shift in focus which eventually led to the Western world becoming secular. That means taking, removing God Almighty out of the equation totally. Yeah. So in the early medieval period of European history, it used to be the church that ruled the state. It used to be the church that would impart education to the masses. So the people had a religious foundation. But then Christianity went through a reformation and they gave preference in the Enlightenment period to human reasoning. So wahi was secondary. Revelation from Allah was not the, the priority you know, source anymore. Human reasoning became, became the, the, the preferred go-to uh, accepted view and also individualism and skepticism doubting we need to prove it what you're saying about the unseen world you know, did you see it did you go there to tell us there is an afterlife and now you're telling us because you've seen it with your own eyes so 
They said, if you didn't see it, then we can't rationalize it. So therefore, they started to shift away gradually from religion. So Christianity went through this reformation. And by the way, these are weak arguments. Because they haven't seen it either, to say that it doesn't exist. But going back to our topic, they used the, to, to reform Christianity they actually, and to separate religion from the state and religion from education. They actually used the verse in the Bible saying that give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Meaning that, look, you want to worship God? Worship him in the church. That's where God is confined to, in your church, in your mosques, in your synagogues. But as far as state affairs, education and all that, anything outside of the church, that is upon us, human beings. So, then what happened is that the totality of human existence became for this life alone. This is now our main priority. In here, illa hayatuna dunya, there's only this worldly life. Namutu wa nahya. We die, we live. We're not going to be raised again in the life hereafter. So, actually, uh, a disenchanted Christian, you could say, he, by the name of Viktor Frankl, he said that most people today, speaking about his society, said that most people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. So, why another reason why evil has become a problem now, even though this was there from the beginning of time, but it's led people to, to leave religion and leave the belief in God, is that we have become more sensitive in modern times. What do I mean by this? We've become more sensitive. Look, human beings, naturally there are some that are more sensitive to others. People who are naturally sympathetic and empathic, whose hearts get really affected. They feel the pain when they see a child crying. They feel the pain when they see an elder, elderly person suffering or a victim screaming. It really affects them. This is human nature. In some, it's more profound than in others. But consider today how the average person in modern times enjoys unprecedented luxuries. Our standard of living today surpasses the kings of the past. Did the kings of the past have hot and cold water at their fingertips? Did the kings of the past have light at their fingertips, light, darkness? Did the kings of the past, for example, did they have controlled temperature of the room? You can set it to whatever degree you want, the perfect temperature so you can sleep nicely. So our standard of living today surpasses the, even the, the, the kings of the past. So, when this is the case, add to that how we have you know, technological ad developments, medical advancements that have resulted in the prevention of many diseases. Pain management. Now, even if you have a lot of pain, you can take some painkillers that would really reduce that or even nullify it altogether. So, while these developments have benefited human life immensely, no doubt, no doubt, but they have also weakened our tolerance of pain. We can't tolerate much pain anymore. 
We, and it's heightened our sensitivities. We're very sensitive because we're not used to this. We're not used to a bit of hardship. We're not used to sickness. We're not used to viruses. But in the past, you know, whole communities were wiped out with sicknesses and plagues and things like that. So we've become more sensitive. So that's why most phenomena cited by atheists when they want to depict the viciousness of evil in this world, they have a humanitarian crisis connotation behind it. What I mean is the language they use and the words they invoke have a humanitarian spin to it so that they sow the seeds of doubt into the hearts of the believers by projecting a cruel and nasty God. Yeah. So, another reason that human beings are, have changed a lot, because as we mentioned, suffering has been there from the beginning, the discoveries and breakthroughs of the modern era by scientists and so on, have deluded people into assuming that they can fully understand everything in the universe. Determine with absolute certainty what does and does not exist. And so they don't hesitate to deny that there's any wisdom to many of the phenomena around them. A person by the name of, the name of Charles Taylor, so he described how Western society's attitude towards the universe. He says that it's taken an anthropocentric turn in modern times. What does he mean by that? In other words, the secular person now perceives himself as the master of the universe. Meaning that whatever his eye cannot see or his intellect cannot comprehend, whatever his mind cannot recognize as wise, it must not be true or it must not exist or it must be foolish. So I'm just, I've just explained some of the reasons why evil has become a problem to that extent that it's caused people to leave religion altogether. Now, to deal with the topic itself, some of the wisdoms that may be there behind the creation of evil. We as limited beings with limited intellect can only understand these wisdoms on a very surface level. We should also understand that a wise God does not reveal to us every single wisdom. Why is that? Because life is a test. Life is to serve as a test. And a test wouldn't be a test if the answers are revealed. So human reasoning should always be guided by revelation from Allah. We're never going to understand this problem without belief in Allah and submitting to Allah. So, the Qur'an tells us that Allah is wise. It's a quality of Allah. Allah cannot be unwise. Yaseen wal-Qur'anil Hakim. Allah, the one who revealed the Qur'an, and the Qur'an is Hakim, wise. So, that is the belief of a, a mu'min. Second is that the fact that Allah is wise necessitates that there is wisdom behind everything that exists. And this also necessitates that Evil exists for some reasons, profound reasons. So Allah's wisdom necessitates that for life to qualify as a trial, for life to qualify 
as a trial, the reason for every evil cannot be immediately disclosed to those under examination. And also, Allah's wisdom necessitates that He only disclose some of the main reasons behind evil, pain, suffering, just to help people to brace themselves as they navigate through the hardships of life. I'm going to go through this. So Allah says, وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ fitna." This is the Qur'an. Allah says that we are going to test you with how? With evil, with bad, and with good. He mentioned evil first, and then good. نَبْلُوكُمْ That we will test you بِالشَّرِّ With evil circumstances, evilness. وَالْخَيْرِ And goodness also. It won't be all bad. There will be good, but it won't be all good. There will be bad also. And this is why fitnata as a test. And you will return to us. So before diving into these main wisdoms, it must be said that one of the most foundational concepts in Sunni beliefs regarding the creation of evil, we say that, this is a Sunni belief, mainstream Islam, we say that there is no such thing as pure evil. I'm going to repeat this and I'm going to explain it. There is no such thing as pure evil. What, what do I mean by this? It means that evil by itself, 100%, as only bringing evil, we say that does not exist. We say that evil, as a result, will indirectly lead to goodness. This is a difficult thing to comprehend. I'm going to go through it. This is what scholars have written, not me. Ibn al-Qayyim, a great scholar of Islam, they've mentioned this. He said, look, the existence of suffering or evil indirectly leads to other types of goodness in response to those evils. And these other types of goodness are beloved to Allah. And they would not have been possible without the evil existing in the first place. Evil was there to bring this good. Good and evil are two sides of one coin, meaning that one cannot exist without the other. This is difficult to understand, but now you'll understand it, inshallah. How can we see the goodness of valor and courage? Shuja'a is a good quality in Islam, to be brave, to be courageous. That quality could not be manifested without circumstances of fear, or peril, or some type of hardship. Yeah? Likewise, forgiveness. Forgiveness, that quality of forgiveness, whether it be from Allah, or whether it be amongst ourselves, that cannot be manifested without the commission of an offence or a sin. And likewise, perseverance, sabr, to be steadfast, to remain firm on the truth. Yeah, this is a good quality in Islam. Perseverance, patience, this cannot exist without hardships and obstacles. So, for example, the enjoyment that we get of eating till, our, till we are satiated, this will only be known to those who have been bitten by hunger. And likewise, you know, Quenching your thirst is only savoured after experiencing thirst. So, and likewise, the person who falls sick, 
A sickness is an evil. Why couldn't it be perfect? Why, why can't we live our entire life in this world without ever suffering sickness? So when a person falls sick, he will really appreciate what it was like to be healthy. Often health is just a favor of Allah is taken for granted. The sight, you know, once the eyes have been taken away, a person becomes blind, he realizes the gift of sight. A person whose hearing has become deaf, hearing taken away, he realizes the gift of hearing. So this comes to the next good quality that these things bring out, which is to be grateful. Shukr. Shukr is a, a very important quality of a mu'min. وَقَلِيلٌ مِّنْ عِبَادِيَ shakur The Quran says, very few of my slaves are actually truly grateful. But the only the way that we can become grateful is when we recognize these favors. Yeah? That's why the Prophet ﷺ advised us that when you see someone suffering, someone in pain, he taught us to say these words. Alhamdulillahi alladhi afani mimma abtalahu bihi wa faddalani ala kathiri mimman khalaqa tafdila. I advise not to say it loudly if the person understands Arabic. But basically what it means, if you see someone suffering, you think that, oh, Allah is so kind that He has saved me from this test. Alhamdulillah Praise be to Allah who has given me afiyah, He's given me well-being and He hasn't put me through that test that this person is suffering. He has favored me amongst many of the other creation. So this brings about Gratefulness. The whole belief, the whole mindset of a believer is, is very different. So one of the greatest reasons, ulama have said, for the Almighty Allah creating both good and evil in this world is to manifest His names and His sifat, His qualities, His attributes. His Ar-Rahman, His Ar-Rahim, His Ghafoor, He's the one that forgives sins. So for him to manifest and make apparent his quality of forgiving, there had to be sin. In fact, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that if you people didn't commit sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have created another people who committed sin just so that he could forgive them. So that his quality of ghafoor can be made manifest. And likewise, he has the quality of al-muntaqim, the one who extracts revenge. How can he make this quality apparent if there was no injustice. So, this is one of the reasons. Of the wisdoms for the existence of calamities is also to demonstrate rububiya. This is important. Lordship. That there is a Lord and you are not God. Yeah. There is an entity that is all-powerful and He is the one that decides, not you, not me. We don't have control over our own affairs. Life is not according to what you want. There is a being that is all-powerful and I'm not all-powerful. And this leads to the next point, to, the re to realize that I'm abd, I'm a slave of Allah. The Prophet says, I don't possess my own self, the ability to benefit myself or to repel harm from me. Everything is in Allah's hand. So this abdiya, this quality of, of being a slave, it comes into our lives. Of the wisdoms of these calamities and sufferings is that deen comes out of them. 
That is the iman, the religiosity, the repentance, the turning to Allah, the du'as. People repent after committing sins. If they didn't commit sins, they'll think they're the most greatest, pious person on earth. A sinner who has made tawbah, he understands when he sees someone else committing a sin. And he feels sympathetic. But a person who, for example, has never... Ulama have said that sometimes the wisdom of a person falling into sin doesn't mean that we should be going into sin. Everyone should avoid sin. But one of the wisdoms of a person falling into sin is that he humbles himself. He realizes, I'm not so good after all. I'm not such a good person. I am a sinner. And he understands other people's condition. So, the Quran mentions, see, people turn to Allah often in times of hardship. The Quran says, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ ضُرٌ دَعَانَ when, does, when, does human, when do human beings call upon Allah? When do they make dua to Allah? Allah says, When he's afflicted with harm, hardship, problems. At that time, he turns to us. So this, is the humi this humility is the essence of slavehood. Of the wisdoms of pain and suffering, as I wrap up, my dear brothers and sisters, is that through that pain, through that suffering, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows third parties to get involved. What do I mean by this? Allah tests people who are suffering to see if those people who are not suffering will help them. How do we respond when people are hungry, when people are needy? The ones who are not hungry, the ones who are not needy, and they have. And then they are confronted with people who are needy. They're being tested, but they're not the only ones being tested. The ones who are affluent and not needy, but, in, but they're well off, they're also being tested. And their test is that, how are you going to respond to these people in need? Yeah? Are, are we going to help them out? How will Allah reward a person who looks after the needs of orphans, for example? To be an orphan is a very traumatic experience if a, if a child loses his parents. The one that's, been, you know, looking after him giving him love and then he loses his parents yeah that's that's an evil you can consider that as a suffering or a calamity so but how can Allah give reward to someone who looks after the needs of the orphans if orphans didn't exist the fact that orphans exist exists necessitates that people will be rewarded for looking after them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's some of the wisdoms of Allah creating pain or suffering. So every one of us are being tested in different ways. Some of us are being tested by luxury, good times, while others are being tested by being deprived. Yeah. So of the wisdom of calamities, pain and suffering is that everybody is being tested and those that have must give to those who don't have. <laughs> the last point I'd like to mention is that the result of pain and suffering yeah, is the blessings of Allah that one will receive in the next world. Their graves will be enlightened in the hadith. Yeah? Their reckoning will be made easy because they had a hard life in this world. Preference will be given to them. They will be under the shelter of Allah. Their rank will be raised. So many blessings. After seeing the rewards in the hereafter, they'll want to come back 
And if, if we can face more suffering and remain patient so that we get more rewards like this. This is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So the bottom line is, my dear brothers and sisters, if you don't believe in the hereafter, you can never rationalize pain and suffering. Yeah, it's as simple as that. This world is a world of pain and suffering. It is not Darul Salam. It is not Jannah. It was part of Allah's plan that, that Allah would take Adam السلام, out of Jannah to a world that was imperfect, to a world that there would be suffering, pain, sickness, death, trials, so that he could return him in much better circumstances. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq, inshallah. So that, that wraps up this. So, you know, one of the benefits of me choosing this topic is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't answer this question, so if someone asked me, I will also say, look, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't answer this question, so therefore, uh, don't expect me. Like I said, we don't have a watertight, foolproof answer to this question. But you can see from what some of our scholars have said that there's wisdom behind the suffering of Allah, uh, the suffering that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, allowed in this world. Inshallah. Jazakumullah khair.